we're going to be talking about a subject that, that a lot of people are confused about. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is it? Who can commit it? What is this thing all about? Now, if you remember where we have been, Jesus has been chastened for healing a man with a withered hand on a Sabbath. And now the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, want to kill him, put him to death. And Jesus is going to, going to leave that, that, that area because he doesn't want his life to be taken prematurely. Not that anybody could take it prematurely, but there's, there's some element that uh, he doesn't want that pressure put on him. And so we're going to see today as he goes forward, he teaches the multitudes, and then he will have the Pharisees accuse him of casting out a demon in, in the power of Satan, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So if you would, stand as we read God's Word together, starting in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 through 32. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen... My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name Gentiles will trust. Then one, of, one was brought to him who was a demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. This is the Word of God. Our Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for these people that you have gathered here today, today to hear your Word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to touch each one of our hearts. Open our spirits. Open our minds to the truth of your word, and may we be changed because we've been in contact with the living God today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king, and there is a kingdom that is coming that will be ruled by King Jesus. It will be a, a kingdom that will be perfect. It will be a kingdom of law and order and righteousness. And last week, we talked about the controversy over the Sabbath the last time I taught, the controversy over the Sabbath. Remember, there were seven times, seven times that Jesus was chastened by the Pharisees for doing something for mankind on the Sabbath. Chastened, and, and this last time, healing the man, they want to kill him. Now, remember what the Sabbath is. The word means to desist, to cease. It's an intermission. 
It's the seventh day rest. It is Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment, and it's to the nation of Israel. You want to remember that. It's to the nation of Israel. And this commandment is not repeated in the new, for the New Testament church, any place that we can see in the New Testament. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Exodus 31, 13 really explains how this is just for the nation of Israel. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The church is in the new covenant, and we don't see anything in the New Testament past the Gospels about keeping a Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. The Bible nowhere teaches this. And again, seven times Jesus irritated the Pharisees by doing something on the Sabbath. And instead of rejoicing, now think about this. This guy has a withered hand in that culture. He cannot function. It's an agrarian culture. And he has his hand healed. It's whole. It's strong. It's functioned like never before. And instead of the Pharisees rejoicing, they want to plot to kill Jesus. They could have cared less about this guy. The religionists could care less about the healing of this man. Okay. The Jewish leadership has steadfastly resisted Jesus. They have rejected him. The Jewish people have been influenced by the Jewish leadership. Now, Jesus had multitudes follow him, and they'll have even multitudes following him on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But that same group will a few days later say, crucify him, crucify him. They'll reject Messiah. Now, so this week we're going to be talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to find out exactly what it is. In verse 15 through 21, the Pharisees want nothing to do with the gentle Jesus. They want the conquering Jesus. They want the guy that's going to come in and save them from Rome. So picking it up in verse 15, but when Jesus knew it, knew that they wanted to kill him, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Notice that Jesus enters into the demonic realm, which causes death and illness and sickness and chaos, and he brings healing there. Yet he warned them, it's an interesting thing here, not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, now this is going to be the gentle Messiah that they're going to be rejecting. Behold, my servant. Now, that word servant isn't the usual word diakonos that you hear for a deacon being a servant. No, it is the word P-A-I-S, pais, pais. And it means my child or my son. Father is saying, this is my son. That's what he's saying here. Whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And we saw that when Jesus was baptized. And he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He's going to be, he's going to be gentle to people. He's not going to put out the fire in people. Till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. And take a pause right there. In his name, Gentiles will trust. The Gentiles are going to be welcomed into the family of God. The Jews rejecting Jesus facilitated the rest of the world coming into the family of God. Do you think this was the plan of God? Yes, 
Mr. Gorham. It was the plan of God. Yes, it was. So, in Jesus' pattern is this. When opposition reaches its peak, and several times they wanted to kill him and that sort of thing, they wanted to kill him. He withdraws. He withdraws. Remember, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. He withdraws from them. Why? Because it's not his time. Now, what you want to get out of this is that Jesus stays on mission. He has a mission from his father. He has a calling from his father. And he will not be distracted by anything that's going on in this world. Folks, that is a word for us. Not to be distracted by what's going on in our world. He says in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Let that resonate within you. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who, who sent me. Distraction, folks, is a tool of the enemy to get you off mission. To get you off mission. A distraction. And what is your mission? Your mission, of course, is to do the will of the Father. To do the will of the Father in your life. To the, obey the commands of God. Now, what gets us off mission? Well, I can tell you what gets me off mission. Politics. I mean, when I get, I'm inundated with this information constantly, folks, that will get you off mission. Stay on mission. How about the world crisis that's going on? I mean, we're inundated with the food crisis that's coming. We're inundated with all this change that's going on in our culture. Folks, that can get you off mission. That can get you into worry land. We don't want to go there. We want to stay on mission. How about social media? That will get you off mission. How about being the news junkie 24-7, listening to technology. And of course, the great, wonderful video games. That will get you off mission. That will get you stuck someplace in a corner playing games and wasting your life. Not that you cannot enjoy a little bit of video games, but don't let it consume your life. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And folks, we are here to do the will of our Father. That is why we are here. And then Jesus said... Don't tell anybody. Now, that's an amazing statement. The multitudes are there. Now, do you think these people are going to listen? The mu nobody listens, okay? But Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Why? Why? Because he didn't want those, the, the, the Pharisees pressing him more. He had a mission. He didn't want to be distracted by them. But also, remember why Jesus came. He came to preach. It said in Mark 1.38, that I may preach there also. For this purpose I came forth. You know what preaching is? It's the word caruso. It is to proclaim the truth. Okay? Proclaim the truth to the culture. Jesus' world did not want him. The way that he was being presented as the gentle Messiah. Oh no. They wanted the conquering king. And they wanted him now. Now Jesus. Now people will clamor. To, to, to go to the Jesus that you make up in your mind. The Jesus that will, do, that will do anything that I want Jesus to do. The Jesus that will validate any lifestyle that I'm living. They'll clamor for that Jesus. But the real Jesus, when he presents himself and he says, deny yourself. You know what that means? Deny the self-life. Take up your cross, your calling, and follow me. That's the words of Jesus to his people. Follow the master. Hatred for Jesus at this time is boiling over. It's not his time. It's not his time. They will not be able to take his life, but they will reject him. And when they reject him, Jesus' mission is going to change. Isaiah describes this Messiah. 
Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4 are repeated in Matthew 12, 17. He's a servant with no political agenda. God is well pleased with him. He will bring justice to the Gentiles. Now, that would be disgusting if you're a Pharisee because you look at the Gentiles as being dogs, being way, way beneath you, not worthy of anything. He will not be brash. He will not be loud. He will not be demanding. He will be gentle and humble in heart. That is how Jesus presented himself. Jesus' rejection is crescendoing, and it's going to reach a point. The final straw will come this week with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In verses 22 to 23, Jesus is going to be presented with this, this demon-possessed, blind, mute guy. That's going to put the whole thing in progress. So watch this. Then, when, then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and he healed him. Now, take a hard stop. Somebody that is demon-possessed, blind, and mute, if they're healed, what should be the posture of the people? Hip, hip, hooray. That should be the posture of the people. That should be the posture of the Pharisees. But oh no. And, and that, watch this. And the blind man and the mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be? Could this be? the son of David. Code word, could this be Messiah? Could he be the real one? Could he be the real one? Now remember, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? And that is what he's doing. Jesus heals the demon-possessed blind mute. It prompts a question, could this be the son of David? Again, could this be the Messiah? Now in the Greek construction of this, it's a little bit different. It says this, this couldn't be the son of David, could it? That's a question. That's a question. There's an undertone of unbelief, but the Pharisees are really stressed by the people even questioning that he could be really the Messiah when they've been speaking so vociferously against him. This is the last straw for these religionists, for these religionist Pharisees. No more of this Jesus Messiah stuff. We got to get Jesus out of our hair. We got to get rid of Jesus. Now, why did the Pharisees, why do the religionists, the zealots hate Jesus so much? And I think it's this. Jesus is stealing their thunder. Remember, it's all about power and control. These folks were in control. They wanted the power and they wanted nothing to threaten their leadership, their control. And I want to suggest to you something. People will resort to some amazing things to keep their power and keep their control. Religionists go to place, a lot of people's go to place is this. Let's discredit Jesus. Let's discredit the one who's standing against me. When humans start to panic, when their power and control is being threatened, now look what's happening in our world today. Okay, I'm not supposed to be focused on this world today, but I'm living here, so I want to be informed. Folks, there's a lot of lies and distortion that's going on. There's a lot of attempts to discredit anything that, doesn't, that goes against the narrative that is being promoted. When humans start to panic, folks, get ready for the discredited, discrediting lies and distortions. 
Now, we're going to see in verse 24 the actual blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the rejection of the king, the last straw. Verse 24. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, oh, are they fried. They said this, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They couldn't think of a more harsh word, Beelzebub, the rulers of the demons. Now, again, take a hard stop. This guy is, is demon-possessed, blind, he's in misery, he's healed, and the Pharisees could care less. Not Jesus. Jesus cares about the hurting. Jesus cares about extracting people from the kingdom of darkness and its power. Not Jesus. The word blasphemy is an interesting word. The, the, the prefix is blast, and it means evil. The suffix is theme, speech, evil speech. It's the worst type of slander. It's a vicious accusation. Now watch what they say. This fellow, not this prophet, not this wise teacher, this fellow, this, this, this meaningless person, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Folks, this is the blasphemy. This is what gets them in trouble. It's a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that they've committed here. Now, the Beelzebub is this. It's the Philistine deity. It means Lord of the flies. And the Jews put a little twist on this. The Lord of dung. The Lord of poo-poo. Okay, that's what it is. Flies are attracted to the dung. So when the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit comes, there is no going back. You have, you're done with, God is done at that point with you. So Jesus is going to have a ministry change going forward. Now Robert Dean in his work has a nice overhead on this that helps explain this. So that is going to come up right now. The rejection of the king. Prior to the rejection of the king, the offer of the kingdom was universal. It went to all the people. Jesus was speaking to the multitude. The disciples went out two by two to the multitudes, bringing them to Messiah. But now this is the rejection of the nation of Israel. There will be no more multitudes. Jesus' ministry will change from, going, from this point forward. You see in chapter 13, we start talking about parables, things that are hidden, hidden truths. Now he's going to be into the training of the 12, getting them ready for the church age, the crucifixion, death, burial, and, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. So there's a focus change that occurs after this time frame. Now, think about this. What could have protected the people from this awful state of this final rejection, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And I want to suggest to you something. Faithful Shepherds, faithful shepherds, faithful shepherds who protect the flock from the lies. Israel, folks, had a faithful shepherd problem. And I want to suggest to you today, unequivocally, that America has a faithful shepherd problem. A faithful shepherd problem. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 and 3 is going to come up on the screen. Now, the setting here is Israel has been taken into Babylonian captivity. Babylonian captivity. Why? Because of idolatry and rejecting the true God and taking on the culture's values. They became like the nations around them. 
They were immersed with people. They became like the nations around them. And they decided to follow the gods of that culture instead of Jehovah. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And he warned them and he warned them and he warned them. And he said in Ezekiel 18.23, Do I have any pleasure that the wicked should perish but turn and live? And yet they kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. And they listened to false prophets that told them all the good things. All the good things that God was going to do for you. And they were false prophets lying. Listen to this. Ezekiel 34, verses 2 and 3. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Focus on themselves. All about themselves. How many people are fleecing the flock, getting rich on the back of the sheep? Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves, shepherds. With the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Now, if you go on, he's going to really harangue about the shepherds. For time, I'm going to have to skip to when God intervenes. Now, this is talking about the second coming of Christ. This is talking about when Jesus is going to enter in the millennial kingdom, and he will save remnant Israel. So this is what this says. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep. Can't trust the shepherds and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Remember, the Jewish people are in the diaspora. They were scattered throughout the world until May 14, 1948, when the Jews became a nation. And since then, people from all over the world, Jewish people have been making aliyah, going back to Jerusalem, going back to Israel, going back to their home. They've been called by God. But in the millennium, they will all go back and live in Jerusalem. The principle is clear. Unfaithful shepherds, uh, excuse me, I missed a slide that I want to show you. So send the next slide up. Thank you, Maritza. Now, this is just a picture of Israel. This has nothing to do with the talk today, but it's a little, a little interjection. This is the land that will be occupied during the millennial reign of Christ. Notice this little speck of land is what they have now, which they want to take more and more away. But the millennial reign of Christ, all this land will be the nation of Israel. All this land. That is just for your edification. I've had this picture before, but it just gives it, put it into our brains. So, next point. The principle is clear. Unfaithful shepherds will result in unfaithful sheep who reject the truth and believe the lie. Those people were believing what their leadership told them. That is the problem. And captivity was inevitable. Now, think about this. Captive. Now, they went into physical Babylonian captivity because their minds were taken captive by the culture they were immersed in. And I want to suggest to you, we can be taken captive by the cultural norms. What is normal today for the world, folks, is not normal for us. We are a different people. We are in a different kingdom. We've been extracted from the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of light. We are to walk as people in the kingdom of light. So captive the world and immersed in something that I've termed world think. 
thinking like the world, being indoctrinated to the world, becoming like the world. The shepherds are to do their jobs. That is to lead, to teach the people about the true God, to teach them to see what's going on around them, to make a judgment based upon the word of God, and then to act, see, judge, and act. We've been through this many times. And by all means, a faithful shepherd is not there to pander to the, to the, to the sheep. The faithful shepherd is not there to count nickels and noses. So many places compromise in order to build numbers and, and have messages that are just there to, 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 to tickle your ears and to make you feel great and wonderful about your sinful life. Folks, that is an unfaithful shepherd. That is an unfaithful shepherd. God's promise to this nation was he would regather them in the millennial reign. And I want to suggest something to you that I know that most of you believe in, that God's promise to you today is that God will regather his church, his bride, and take them to Father's house. Folks, we call that the rapture of the church. We call that a time when the church is extracted from this mess, and we are joined with our bridegroom in heaven as the bride of Christ. I can't wait for that to happen. Now watch what Jesus talks about. He talks about divided kingdoms cannot stand. In verse 25 through 28, he's going to address this blasphemy. He's going to hit him right between the eyes. And I said, you know, Jesus is so cool. He doesn't go, he doesn't say to these guys, I'm not blaspheming. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not doing this. I'm not, no, he doesn't address anybody like that. Never defends himself. He just speaks and hits them right in the heart. Watch what he says. Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, folks, that's the omniscience of God just, just eeping through. And said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Good question. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? They got a problem answering that question. Therefore, they shall be your judges. Then he says this, but I cast out demons by the spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. I am the Messiah. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Hear this. When you think about division, a divided nation, a divided home, a divided church, a divided team, a divided people of any sort cannot stand. Division guarantees turmoil, collapse. Satan is an expert. He is an expert, folks, of stirring it up and causing division. And you know, I was going to sing to you this song but I will spare you. United we stand, divided we fall. There was an actual song that said this, you know. And I will stop there. United we stand, divided we fall. So, Abraham Lincoln, on June 16, 1858, said these words in a Senate race, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, folks, I think it's important for, no, for people to know real American history. Not eliminating the history of our country, but remembering the history. 
Not American propaganda, not rewriting the history of our country, but knowing the truth about American history. We should know the truth. We should know the truth. And Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I would suggest this. Abraham Lincoln knew the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures. And it was the norm for leaders of his day to actually have some idea what the Scriptures said. It is the exception today. The very strong exception today. Lincoln went on to say this. Now hear these words. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. Now hear this. It will become all one thing or all another. It will exist but it will be one thing or it will be, the, be another. And I would say this loud and clear. Take heed, America, to what Jesus has said here and what Lincoln has said at his little address. Take heed, America. Our house is divided. Our land is in turmoil. We have lost in our country a God conscience. We have lost a God conscience. And exit the, remember, any vacuum is filled. Exit the true God, enter the zeitgeist spirit, enter the gods of the age. And that is what has happened. We've been infiltrated with the gods of this world that have impacted the culture and caused the culture to walk farther and farther away from God to the point that people actually don't even know the true God and want nothing to do with the true God because the true God demands allegiance to him and him alone. You cannot have a divided allegiance. He will not accept a divided allegiance. These gods our forefather did not know. They did not know. A God conscience, folks, saved the union and slavery was abolished. A non-God conscience, the union as we know it, will not, I believe it will not stand. A pathetic phony will rise up in its place and replace it. A pathetic phony. Our forefathers never recognized, never recognized what is happening in our country. Folks, there's something that is happening in America. Recognize it. The zeitgeist spirit. That's the spirit of the age. That's the spirit of, God, of the Antichrist. Antithesis of who God is. The zeitgeist America is walking lockstep with a globalist agenda. A one world government. They're using climate change. They're using a lot of things like that to enforce in, 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 in or redirect people to their agenda. Gaia, they believe in, it's amazing these people are, it's just astounding. The earth God is called Gaia. And they'll believe in the earth God that the earth is actually has feelings and is hurting and is rebelling against humanity, and that's why we have hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis. Folks, this is hogwash. But people will buy that hook, line, and sinker and ignore the true God. That's the most astounding thing I've ever heard of. You talk about deception. John Adams, the second president, one of America's founding fathers, said this. Now, you know we have a constitution. That's what our laws are built upon, the constitution. And you know that there's been a move recently in the history of our country to reinterpret the Constitution to make it applicable to a changing America. Folks, the Constitution 
is the law of the land. He said this, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. If the people are not moral and religious, this constitution will not hold. You see it being threatened today. Our country is far from moral and religious. And in my opinion, it cannot survive in this form. Today, there's all kinds of accusations being leveraged against the true church. The truth that stands on the word of God. Now, the fake church, the phony church, the compromise, the blending church that agrees with everything that's going on. LBGTQ, RSTUV, transgenderism, open borders, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Marxist ideologies that want to change the very fabric of our nation. People, the churches have bought into this. Folks, we can't. We stand on the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Now, Jesus, at his time, is being accused of working with Satan, casting out demons by Satan's power. The Pharisees are twisting the truth. And Jesus says this, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. It's illogical. It is nonsense. Jesus sets these religionists straight. But if I cast out the demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus, loud and clear, is saying, I am the Messiah. Jesus, loud and clear within our world today, is saying, I am the Messiah. Come and follow me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They will not follow another shepherd. My sheep will follow me. Folks, we want to follow the voice of the master, not the voice of the culture. Now, watch 29 through 30. Satan must be bound for the kingdom to come. Now, there's a lot of controversy on this, but I think this has been a misinterpreted scripture by very many people in the church. Verse 29 through 30. Or how can one enter a strong man's house? That's talking about Satan. That's not just Satan. That's Satan's kingdom. Remember, Jesus on several occasions called him the ruler of this age. Paul said he's the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talking about his kingdom, a strong man's house, and plunder his goods unless he first binds or ties up the strong man. Then he will plunder, then is, plunder his goods in his house. He who is not with me is against me. There's no, there's no equivocating here. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus is saying some significant things here. Please track with me. Most of you are actually listening. There's not a lot of people drifting right now. So you're tracking. So that's good. Okay. So here, Jesus, this is important. Jesus is saying for the kingdom to come, for messianic kingdom to come, to exist on earth, Satan must first be bound. Okay. That's what he's saying here. This has to do with the messianic. Remember, the offer of the kingdom has been given to the Jewish people, and they've rejected it and rejected it. This is a final rejection. For his kingdom to come, Satan will have to be definitively bound. This has nothing to do with binding Satan in spiritual warfare sense or casting out demons. It's all about Jesus establishing his kingdom and destroying the works of the devil, which is why he, one of the reasons he came. And hear this, Satan will not be bound. And until Jesus' kingdom is established. 
Now, you can inhibit Satan in your life. You can bind him to some extent in your life by submitting yourself to God, resisting the devil, and he will flee. By taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. By putting on the armor of God that he's given you, Ephesians chapter 6. You can then inhibit the actions of Satan in your life. And remember, his point of attack is the mind. He who controls the mind controls the person. You put on all that armor, you're protected. Don't leave any of it off. Don't leave any of it off. Satan will not be bound until Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. Now, for time, I won't read that. But in chapter 19, Revelation 19, Jesus comes back on a white horse. This isn't a little donkey that he's going into Jerusalem on. This is a king's horse. And he's returning, and he's blood all over his garments, and he's ruling as king of kings and lord of lords, and he binds the Antichrist, throws him into the lake of fire, binds the false prophet, throws him into the lake of fire, takes Satan. He doesn't actually take Satan. He has an angel, an angel, one messenger angel with the exousia, the administrative authority of God. And he binds Satan, puts him in a pit, ties him up with chains for a thousand years. That's when Satan is bound. That's when he's bound. And now hear this. Now Jesus goes on to say an amazing thing. There is no neutral ground for someone to hide. Either you're with me or you're against me. You're with me or you're against me. You don't gather, you scatter. There's no neutral ground for someone to hide. Jesus makes this clear. There's no religious tradition you can hide in. There's no pretending this isn't real that you can hide in. There's a lot of people do that. This isn't real. I'm not here. I could have given you the three monkeys again on the screen you know, see, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, that whole thing. You can't hide in the fact that you're a good person because the Scripture says there's none good, there's none who does good, there's none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Folks, in the, in the eyes of holiness, none of us are good. We need the righteousness of Christ to be holy before God. There's no pretending it isn't here. No atheist can just pretend it's not here. No money can buy you out of this one. No worldly power. You cannot hide from Jesus. And you cannot hide. Now, this isn't popular, but this is the truth. You cannot hide from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. It's the sixth seal judgment. And in the sixth seal judgment, remember, in the tribulation period, Jesus has opened the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. And these are judgments on earth that he is legislating on earth. He's, he's Getting back authority on earth that he, that he owns. He owns this earth. He's doing away with Satan. And he's opening these seals. And he's dealing with the Jewish people. There's a massive earthquake that occurs here. And the people tried to hide themselves. And this is the language that is used. It is so terrifying. So abjectly terrifying. That they cry out, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Folks, people can take the gentle Jesus Savior now or they will face the wrath of the Lamb. Now, you won't hear that taught by many shepherds. You will not hear that taught, but that is the truth. That is the truth. Thank God that He sent us a rescue in His Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So many Christians, quote, Christians, now, you can put the label Christian on all you want. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. 
Christian. You're a Christian if you're truly believing and following the master. So many Christians live in the neutral. Try to live in the middle. Try to blend with each side. Oh no. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Jesus said you can't, you can't be divided in this. The true church, folks, will stand. And I would cry out to you in this country that is changing, in this world that is changing at rocket speed, I would cry out to you, brothers and sisters, do not waver. Do not lose your focus. Stand. Stand on the principles of Scripture. Stand for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, unabashedly. That's what I would ask you to do. And I would say the winds are picking up. The hurricane forces are starting to blow. You see your hair starting to blow back, and, and, and maybe Brad's beard is being blown back. Like, you know, yeah, you start to see that happen. My encouragement to you is this next picture. Stand firm, stay focused. Be like the bull in the blizzard that's coming. The storm is coming, and we will not be moved. And folks, Jesus expects this of the true church. That is you. Folks, we're the antithesis of the world. We cannot blend with the world and say that we're genuine. We cannot. I'm telling you the truth. There's a lot at stake here. A lot at stake. Verse 31 to 32, the Pharisees will have the final rejection. This is when Jesus acknowledges this. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. That is a finality statement. A finality statement. Now, a lot of people ask, and I've heard this from many sources, I'm concerned that I've committed the unpardonable sin. If you're, simply, if you're asking the question, you have not committed it. You still have a conscience. It isn't seared. Okay, so the, the unpardonable sin. Now remember, the kingdom is being offered to Israel. This has to do with the nation of Israel, specifically this statement. They have rejected the kingdom. I like how Arnold Fruchtenbaum puts this in his footsteps of Messiah. He says this, The national sin of rejecting Messiah while he was with them, on the grounds he was demon-possessed. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in context with what this scripture says. Okay? It happened then. It was a one-off for the nation of Israel. Not repeatable. It can't be repeatable again. But hear this. In a sense, in a sense today, anyone who refuses the witness of the Holy Spirit to their hearts, there is a final time when the Spirit will come. No more chances. Now look, at God is long-suffering. He is willing that none should perish. He comes and he comes and he comes, but there is a point. There is a point when it's no more. No more. No more. There's a final time when the Spirit will come no more. This person is confirmed in their unbelief, and God gives them over to the desires of their heart. And he says, okay, you can have your way. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 32 talks about this. We do not have time to develop that. But this is called judicial hardness. Judicial, judicial hardening. No return. This can happen to an individual. 
This can happen to a church. This can happen to a nation. Judicial hardening. Some closing thoughts. Now, through the epochs of time, that's all of time since Jesus came on this earth, people have had to deal with the life of Jesus. You have to deal with him. You cannot ignore him. You have to deal with him. And the question is this. Pilate asked the question when he brought the beaten Jesus out to the crowd. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? So the question for each one of us today is, what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What will you do with the real Jesus? The real Jesus who is called the Christ. What will you do? All world religions, remember this, we've learned this in the past. All world religions and all cults have a favorable view of Jesus. But all of them deny that he is their Savior, he is their Lord, he is God incarnate. All of them deny this. This is a big deal, what to do with Jesus. We cannot sweep this, this question under the rug and deal with it or forget about it or try not to think about it. Folks, you're here for a reason. And you listening are here for a reason. We are to deal with Jesus. Now, what happened? In the garden... Adam and Eve were given one prohibition. Do not, one, just, one, just one thing. Don't eat of that one tree right there. The knowledge of good. Do not eat of that tree. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The tempter comes and, of course, says, oh, you won't surely die. You know, God's trying to hold something back from you. Do you he doesn't want you to have this wisdom and knowledge. So a perfect human, Adam, lost a perfect environment. He was given dominion over planet earth. He was given dominion. With sin came a curse, the sin curse. By one man, sin entered the world, Romans 5, 12, and death through sin, and death passed upon all men because all men have, have sinned. Romans three twenty three says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us. But folks, I'm telling you, God gives us a gift he sent his son as a gift. It'll be the next picture here. Romans 6.23. It says it so wonderfully. The wages of sin. What we earn from our sin is death. Death. Separation from God. Oh, but the gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gift. He holds it out there and says, please receive it. Receive the gift of salvation. Receive it. He presents that to humanity. And so many people say, well, not now, Jesus. Not now. I'll do my thing first. I might consider that later. No. Today is the day of salvation. God determines when someone's saved, not a human. This is a God thing. This is a God thing, not a human thing. No, no mere human could buy back humanity. It had to be the perfect, sinless Son of God who came in the form of a man. No great angel could buy back humanity. It had to be a kinsman, a relative of Adam, another perfect human. No other human was perfect because they had the sin curse imputed to them. It had to be a blood relative. And hear this, no other world religion has a kinsman redeemer. None. A kinsman redeemer had to be a blood relative able to pay the price and have a desire to pay the price. Jesus, folks, is mankind's kinsman redeemer. He paid the price. His life for my life, for your life. He had to die. There is no redeemer in Islam. 
There is no redeemer in Hinduism or Buddhism or Sikhism or Judaism or any other ism. There is no redeemer except within Christianity. That, folks, puts us at odds with the world. People do not want to hear you say that. Though Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. All rejectors of Jesus are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke much about heaven and hell. He actually spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And remember his warning. It, do anything not to go there. Cut off your hand. Pluck out your eye. Don't go there. It's eternal separation from God in, 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 a, in a state of abject misery. Now, I don't know what hell is going to be like. Don't, I don't want... I'm not one of these people that, you know, people have said, I took a trip to hell. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. And you're coming back and blabbing about you took the trip to hell. Heaven is eternal, folks. That's where we want to be. This is an interesting quote from, 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 from a man. He said this, I think God never cuts humans off from his grace, but they cut themselves off by refusing to heed the promptings of the spirit. When humans say no to the spirit over and over and over, their hearts and minds become calloused, scarred, seared. It is not that God is not speaking, but they cannot hear. They've been confirmed in their unbelief. Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10 speaks to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is rejecting God and rejecting God, and God says, okay, okay, you can have your way. And watch what he says here to their seared, calloused hearts. This sounds harsh, but this is what he's saying to the nation. He says this. It has to do with the judicial harding past the point of no return. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. He's had it with them. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and return and be healed. God says, no, there's no more chances for you. No more chances to turn around and be healed for you. And scripture is so clear. In Hebrews 3.15, today, today, not putting it off some other day, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to us, remember what he said a, a couple lessons ago? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But folks, we yoke to him. We don't say, Jesus, come and yoke to me and follow me. No, I yoke to him, and wherever he turns, that's where I go. Your eternal destiny depends on getting salvation right. Did you hear that? Your eternal destiny depends on getting salvation right. The second you believe, the nanosecond you believe, there's a transfer of kingdoms. And what is that word believe? It's not mental assent. It's commit to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your sin bearer. You are justified. You're taken from the kingdom of darkness. There's going to be two pictures up here. Kingdom of darkness is the first one. This is it. We're in this dark chasm of life here. 
We think it's bright over here, but it's the kingdom of darkness. It's Satan's kingdom. We get saved and say yes to Jesus Christ. The door of life opens, and then the next picture is boom, the light. The light. We're living in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's so important. Different kingdoms, different kings, a different life, different conduct, different values, a different worldview. I live different than the world. Now, when the salvation process, remember there's three phases to salvation. You've seen this, this slide many times. It's going to come up here again. Justification is when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is always in the past tense because it's already happened. You've done that. You've done that. You're free from the penalty of sin. What is that? Hell, separation from God forever. Guaranteed heaven. Sanctification. That is happening now in your life. You're free from the power of the enemy. You are being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Folks, there's people that believe in lordship salvation. That the minute you're saved, you make Jesus Christ Lord and everything you do as you follow him perfectly. Folks, that, I believe that that is not the way it goes. I think sanctification is when lordship occurs. When we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. We can be saved, and a lot of people saved live carnal lives. And those people never know if they're really saved or not. They never really know if you're going to live half in this world or half out. You don't know if you're really justified. But sanctification is when you are working in concert with the Holy Spirit, being conformed, being changed in the likeness of Christ, being a real follower of the Master. And then finally, there's glorification, folks. That's our future, free from the presence of sin. We have, we have Christ perfection. We are in a state of perfection at that point. doesn't happen until then. We're still here in this struggle. Each one of you who are saved are in the sanctification process. Joining God in becoming conformed to the likeness of Christ. Salvation is a free gift. It's all God. God saves you. And folks, I want to say this. God is good. He gave His Son. Sanctification takes work and discipline. It's God and you working in concert to be changed from the values of this world to be changed from the strongholds that have had you most of your life, to be torn down. That's sanctification. Being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And glorification is free. It's all God. And folks, God is good. He is a good God. All humans have a choice to make. Choose Jesus' way or choose the self-way, the self-life. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And I would like to say this. My encouragement to you is choose wisely. There is really an eternity at stake here. Don't play with Jesus. Don't play with him. Take him seriously. He can be your savior now. Or he can be the wrathful returning king later. That's really what the scripture teaches. Folks, I want you to remember God is good. God loves you. God gave his only begotten son. God sent prophet after prophet. God sends his shepherds, his pastors, his teachers to teach and to guide. But folks, it's up to you. Will you believe and heed or not? God is good. Father, thank you for this time.
Thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to study the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us some clarification on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son to die in our place, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Father, for the gift of life. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that we have a great God, a great King, worthy to be served, worthy to submit to, Lord. We willingly submit our lives to you. We ask for you to have full control, God, full control of every aspect of our life. May we be followers of the Lord Jesus. May we stand against the winds of change, and may we stand for our God, not just stubbornness for ourselves, but we stand for righteousness, for we represent a king that is so worthy to be represented rightly here. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.